belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for July 3rd, 2022 is called Let's Pretend. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hey, good morning again, everyone. Uh, My name is John Ray. For those of you watching on Facebook, listening on the podcast, welcome to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. All right, let's pretend for a minute. Everybody put your imagination hats on. Um, Let's pretend that life comes with a really simple set of rules. Like I said, we're going to have to pretend here. Um, rules that allow you to clearly move through it based on how well you follow the rules. Do good things. What will happen? Good things will happen, right? Uh, Stay in your lane. Everybody else stays in their lane. Try hard. Keep your nose clean. Don't deviate. And things will all work out. Nice and neat. Simple. Yes? You with me? Anybody played that game before? Maybe uh, taught to play that game? Maybe taught that that wasn't a game, but that's how life really worked. It's that if you did these things, played by the rule, stayed in your lane, things would continually get better, right? Simple game. Common game. But is it true? Not so much. (laughs) Whatever else you want to say about Jesus, you have to admit he doesn't play games. Especially this one. I wish it was just a simple thought exercise, a what-if scenario. But in reality, this is many people's expectations. That if we figure out the formula, we can live pain-free. We can find the easy path. We can pick and choose our challenges. Some of us, through a bad combination of cultural conditioning and really bad theology, have come to see such a life not only as possible, but as some kind of right. Something that is owed to us for our faith or our effort or as some kind of inheritance. What we encounter in our text this week is something altogether different. What we see is that following Jesus means loving people, and that gets messy real quick. It's disruptive to our comfort. It dismantles our expectations of ease and continual progress to better and better things. But I want to encourage you that this isn't such a bad thing. It's a fact that it's a necessary thing. And we're not just told to do this, but we're shown how to do this by Jesus. This is one of the things of being an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus is that Jesus never tells us to go and do anything that Jesus hasn't gone and done. So that not only do we have instruction, but we have someone to follow. But that can be really sobering. That can be really challenging as we see what happens 
to Jesus. We've often said at Grace Church that the kingdom of God is people and things as they should be. Moving towards that necessarily involves a a reordering of our relationships with ourselves, others, and things. This is what following Jesus invites us to do. Well, let's see how this plays out in the text. So we've been working our way through Mark. We've had this image of that following Jesus is, is a way of being baptized. And we, when we started the series, we talked about how baptism is not so much a washing or a dunking, but it is a pickling. That the word baptizo in the Greek is the same word that recipes use for making pickles. That if you see this word in the Greek in your Bible, and you read an ancient Greek and Grecian recipe for making pickles, it's the same word. And that's why we have this on our communion table just during the study of Mark, is to remind ourselves that this is a process that involves transformation. That our calling to follow Jesus and our baptism by Jesus changes us. We're going to hear more about this later uh, that I'm really excited about. But for now, we're in Mark 10. We're starting at verse 17, if you want to follow along. Now, as Jesus was starting out on his way, someone ran up to him, fell on his knees, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Quick aside here. Um, Does anybody know what Jesus is quoting there? Ten Commandments, or at least half of them, correct? Quick refresher, Ten Commandments are divided five and five. Five deal with how we relate to human beings, each other. Five relate with how we deal with God. Jesus calls the five here on These are the way you relate to one another. He doesn't even mention, it's funny, when he talks about eternal life, we often talk about your relationship with God. If someone someone came to you right now and said, hey, Ashley, how how do I get into the kingdom of God? What do I do, right? I think our our impetus would be to talk about your relationship with God. You've got to get things right with God. Is that valid? Is that right? Jesus doesn't do that. The guy comes, he's asking about eternal life, and Jesus says, well, let's talk about how you treat other people. So so that alone is an astounding point. The other thing is he doesn't name five commandments, he names six. He adds one. We talk about this a lot at Grace, about how how we, we have a Christological hermeneutic, right? The big seminary word, the Christological hermeneutic, which means we interpret Scripture through Jesus is how we look at it. And here, once again, we see Jesus interpreting Scripture, or better, reinterpreting Scripture. He adds to the Ten Commandments. I know. Scandalous. It is. It ought to be. It's scandalous. And what does he insert here? Did anybody catch? If you're looking at it, did anybody catch the one that he inserts? Because he actually gives six things, not five things. Do not defraud. Do not defraud. He adds to the Decalogue. With this, he he inserts this one. And we talked a lot about it. We talked about why would Jesus insert this one thing? Um, 
here is my totally uninspired John Ray version. Okay, this is not, do not take this as authoritative in any way, shape, or form. It's just my thought on it, all right? What was Jesus' biggest temptation? What, what did, when Satan comes and, and tempts Jesus, what does he start with every time? And it's something that the Pharisees ask him. It's something that even to the last on the cross, he's, he's asked this question. He's, he's tempted with this idea. If you're God. The, the, in the wilderness, if you're the Son of God, do this. If you're the Son of God, do this. Pharisees, if you're the Son of God. On the cross, if he is the Son of God, let him come down. I believe that the, the single most significant temptation in Jesus' life was, hey, are you really who you say you are? Or are you a fraud? I think Jesus here is like, he, he it, it, in a way, it's a little bit of self-therapy for Jesus. <laughs> He's like, and don't defraud anybody. He's like, I am not a fraud. Don't defraud anybody. I'm not a fraud. Doing this Anyway. Like I said, you got that one for free this morning. That's on the side. Won't find that in a commentary, at least none that I've ever read. Um, the man said to him, Teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. Jesus looked at him. He felt love for him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell whatever you have. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But at this statement, the rich man looked sad, went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Or in the Greek, this says, he had many things. Because I think it's easy for us to go, well, that's not me. I'm not rich, right? How, I, very few of us, I think, really actively think of ourselves as rich. But if I said, hey, do you have a lot of stuff? Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. A lot of it I'd like to sell or give away. I'd like to be free of, but I, I got a lot of stuff. So, that, so just think about that here is this man had a lot of stuff. And that helps us identify. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at these words. Why were they astonished? Did they just not believe that God could do things? Why would they be astonished that a rich man, it was hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God? Anybody? Exactly. Look, they were just as susceptible as us to think material blessing equates to God's blessing. That if you have a lot of stuff, you're being blessed by God. If you're poor, you're cursed by God. It's a converse. That's just how we tend to think religiously in these things. And the disciples were just as susceptible to it as we are. Um, but Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to, to, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is impossible. Don't try it at home. I can just go ahead and tell you, don't try to put your camel through a needle. Um, they were even more astonished and said to one another, then who can be saved? If these blessed people can't be saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and replied, it is impossible for mere humans, but not for God. All things are possible for God. Peter began to speak to him, saying, look, look we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. 
And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, there is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake or for the sake of the gospel who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who will be last, who are first will be last and the last will be first. They were going on there and then we get this next little story and it goes they were on their way going up to Jerusalem Jesus was going ahead of them and they were amazed but the two who followed him were afraid he took the disciples the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to them look we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and experts of the law they will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles they will mock him spit on him flog him severely and kill him yet after three days he will rise again Interesting aside there, right? We get this whole thing about entering the kingdom, nothing's impossible with God, and then all of a sudden Jesus is saying, but I'm going to go be crucified. They're going to physically do this thing to me. It seems like if everything was impossible with God, avoiding death, and especially avoiding crucifixion, would be high on the list of things that you would want God to make possible with that, right? So, so last week we talked about the necessity of lowering oneself. This week, the inevitable consequences of that lowering, we see. Jesus sets no limit on how low he is willing to go. It's important to reminder here that crucifixion was, you, if you were a um, Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. It was against the law because it was so degrading. Crucifixion was saved for slaves, the worst of criminals. And if you were a Roman citizen, you, you couldn't be crucified. It was just too degrading. So when we talk about the lowering path, crucifixion is the bottom rung. That's, that is the bottom, bottom, bottom. There is nothing below that with this. Um, so how has this been taught in the past? Well, as we talked about in the teaching team, the first part, this encounter with the, with, with the rich man, has been kind of taught, Alex used the word, I like this, as a moral ascendant, as a, as a story of moral ascendancy. The way that, hey, if we do good things, good things will happen. It actually used, is used as to confirm that idea rather than to come against it, which is crazy when you look at it. But it's like, hey, do these good things. Don't steal, don't laugh, you know. And then, oh, and if that's not enough, hey, here's this one more thing you can do. Go and sell everything, right? It's kind of like, I, we want it so bad to fit into a formula. Just tell me what I got to do to be okay. What we don't say often is what we think after that, which is tell me what I got to do okay, to be okay and then leave me the heck alone. That's not what's happening. What we see instead is that Jesus is pointing us back to the reason there is a law in the first place. The reason there is a law is not for us to earn something, it's to teach us something. It's to call us to something. It's to invite us to something. It's to show us that when we even try to do good things, we often do them with the wrong motivation. That there is what he says, when he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. He's literally saying, look, you can do all this stuff and still not be good. It's not the doing. It's not the earning. 
And that's why he says, it's not so much the thing about, hey, go sell all your stuff. It's the come follow me. That's the hard part. That's, and that's the telos. That's the end. That's the goal. That's where Jesus is trying to call all of us. Yes, don't murder, okay? I'm not giving anybody pass to go kill someone. Don't steal, don't defraud, don't do those things. But just know that even if you do all those things, that's not the goal. The goal is not to be good. The goal is to teach us something about God and ourselves so that we can follow, so that we will continually be oriented towards the person of Jesus with this. But then we get into this kind of weird little thing about Peter, I love Peter. We're going to study Peter in the fall a lot, his writings. Um, he's kind of saying, oh, 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 okay, if, it, if, it's, if it's don't do those things and go and sell all your stuff, look at me. Hey, over here, look at me. We left everything. I, I, wife is back home, sold the boat. I'm after you, right? <laughs> and Jesus is like, Peter, come on, man. Like, like, yeah, you did all that. And let me tell you something. You're going to get more. For everything you gave up, you're going to get more. And you're going to get it now. And you're going to get all the problems that come with it. And what we see here is Jesus, while Jesus rarely talks explicitly about the church, he talks a lot about the church in different ways. And what he is talking about here is the inheritance or this realigning of our relationships that all of us get when we're part of the church. Is we get each other. I, I talked about it last week. I, I get the Cornette's pool, right? <laughs> it's a really cool thing. Is, is, is I, I get to use it. And then Alex reminds me, and you also get to come help clean it. Like, you get, you get all the problems that go along with pool ownership with that. And that's a very small thing, but it, it illustrates, I, I love it because it's a practical illustration of, I think, what happens when, when we give up. And I don't mean give up, like, re, necessarily reject, but when we make our priority with God, our relationship with God, the primary relationship. Jesus talks in much more stark terms in different places about you know, if you don't love me more than your mother, if you don't love me more than your father, if you don't love me more than your brothers and sisters. Um, we are called to do that. We are called to prioritize and honor our relationship with God over every other human relationship. When we do that, we enter into this community of the church in a way that is meant to be a community that shares radically. That all of a sudden, instead of um, one biological sister, two biological, or two half-sisters, three half-brothers, I have y'all. I got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters now. And you got me. I, I'm your brother. I'm not... I'm not some superstar guy up here who knows all this stuff because I've got the microphone and the iPad and the thing. No, I am one of you. We, we are all in this together. We are learning together. We're growing together. We're sharing together. And at times that's awesome. And at times that is devastating. 
when we have to share in the suffering and the tragedy going through. But that is necessary. It's not only necessary for the person who suffers, as as y'all know our story, Jane and I's story, with with what we've lost, but it's also, we need you, but I also need to be needed. Like each of us needs to enter into the suffering of other people so that we ourselves can grow with that. And so our inheritance is each other in this life. But then on top of that, there is an eternal life that comes to promise where everything that we long for will ultimately be worked out. So we're not left with just this, as precious as that is, we also see that it has a, it's working towards something else altogether again. Is that it's working towards this end thing of ultimate restoration with that. Um, and y'all, we're not, we're not going to do this by earning. We talk about it a lot. The grace here, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning, right? We obey not because of what we hope to earn. We obey because of what we've already received and what it is necessary to do in us and through us. And in that process, and I love this part, this scripture is so clear here that that the man comes, falls on his knees. I imagine he had his head down in a sign of respect. And I, and I, I can imagine Jesus reaching down and lifting the, lifting the man's head up and looking at him because it said Jesus saw him. We see this again. He saw the woman. He saw the person. He saw the leper. He saw them. Y'all, Jesus sees us. He sees you. He sees you. You're not a thing. You're not an abstraction. You're not an idea. You're not a problem to be solved. He sees you as you are. And that is terrifying. It's, 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 what we, it's what we all ultimately long for, what we want, but at the same time, it's terrifying to be seen, right? Not just for introverts, but, but for all of us at times, we, we, want to, we want people to see part of us. We talked about this in the teaching team, Laura and, and Tim especially, we talked about how there are parts of our story that we're real quick to share. Okay? Sorry, it's getting personal here on this holiday weekend, but we're going to get a little personal here. We all have a story that we like to tell people. And man, that story may seem real intimate. may seem real revealing. Chances are it's only part of the story. There, There are part of our struggles, part of our personalities, part of our stories that we are quick to share with other people in order, in a way, to divert the gaze rather than to invite the gaze. Because we want people to see something. We don't want them to see it all. Jesus sees it all. And that's terrifying. But what it also does is it forces us to see it. Because we become so used to the story we tell other people, we start to believe it ourselves. And we start, to, we start to lose the potential or the ability to really see ourselves. When Jesus sees us, that's taken away. Because he sees it all, and then we have to see it all. 
And so when we look at that and we go, well, how is this possible? I don't necessarily even want that. I mean, I do, but I don't. I, I, yes, please, no, don't. I mean, that right there, I've been searching a long time for how do I relate to God. I just said it. Yes, please, no, don't. That is, that is my discipleship. That's John Ray's relationship with God right there. I, I, am I the only one? Everybody's just laughing at me like, oh, that poor, that poor guy. Am I the only one that that's true for? Okay. Um, but that's why this promise comes in that for you, yeah, it's, it's impossible. You can't do that. You can't do that just out of your own willpower, out of your own effort. You're, gonna, you're only going to be able to go so far, and then you're going to chicken out. He knows that. God knows that about us. He says, but for you, it's impossible for me. Man, I can do it. I got you. Follow me. Yeah, do these things because I teach you. But just know that they're not going to earn you anything. All it's going to do is teach you. Learn the lesson. Follow me with this. And Jesus is always trying to get us to see things differently, ourselves differently. When we see things, we're able to reorient our expectations, our affections, our allegiances, our affiliations, even our family. We inherit this family, the church. We are their inheritance. Um, I love when he says, you know, I'm going to give you all these things because (laughs) this is definitely not a proof text for prosperity theology, although it has been used in prosperity theology. They just conveniently leave out all the thing and the persecutions to come with it. I mean, this is literally a coffee mug verse, right? I will give you all these things a hundred times, a hundredfold, lands and fields and houses and brothers and sisters, period. Except there's not a period there. It says, and the persecutions that come with them, um, with that. but, But here is something true, I will tell you. God can never be in our debt. There is nothing you will ever give up. There is nothing you will ever do. And God will all of a sudden go, I owe Cherie. Did you see what she just did? Oh my gosh. I've only done this much for Cherie and now she's done this much for me. Like, and I'm not picking on Cherie. I'm like all of us, right? Like the minute we start to think, but God, look at all I've given up for you. Don't you know what it's cost me to follow you? Yes, God knows. But we have to consider everything. And we consider even the breath that we breathe. The ability to give the things away as a gift from God. We'll never be in God's debt. There's no way that that's going to happen. I think the universe would actually cease to exist. Just fizzle out or something if that happened. Um, Here's the other thing that's true about all this. All relationships cause pain. All relationships cause pain. I hurt you. I will hurt you. I have hurt people in here. I have been hurt. There is no way to walk through this existence without pain. Pain happens. And that's what I love about Christianity. That's what I love about the Bible. That's what I love about the Word. It is so hyper-realistic. In, the, in both the diagnosis of the problem and the prescription of the cure. 
we cause each other pain. It happens. Parents cause their children pain. Children cause their parents pain. Friends cause friends pain. Husbands cause their wives pain. Wives cause their husbands pain. On and on and on. Groups cause other groups pain. Happens. What the Bible does is it leads us through this process, though, of recognition, repentance. That's why one of the basic elemental proclamations of the gospel is repent. Recognize that turn. Recognize that you've you've been hurt. Recognize that you hurt. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? It's restoration. The kingdom of God is restoration. And so what we see is not that so much that we are given to, to kind of bring this to a close, and if the worship team wants to come up, not so much that we're given this imaginary formula, do this, stay in your lane, keep your nose clean, everything will work out, and you'll all be okay. That's not Christianity. That is not Christianity. Christianity, no. Hey, you know what? Don't do bad things to people. When you do bad things to people, and bad things are done to you, here's the healing. Here's the restoration. That nothing is broken that cannot be fixed. Nothing that has been transgressed cannot be addressed. There is nothing beyond redemption. It may take our life. It may take eternity to see. But there is nothing that is beyond redemption with that. And what could possibly allow us to let these things go? It is the knowledge that we are already free. It's the knowledge that Jesus sees us and accepts us. That thing about being seen by Jesus is that Jesus looks at us, he sees us, and he doesn't go, ugh. That's not the response. He doesn't look at us and go, Oh, I see you, Amy. Now let me tell you, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. Now I'll come back and I'll check on you later and see if you've done all that stuff. It's not that at all. No, he sees us and he loves us. Not only loves us, but likes us. Wants to be with us, gives himself to us. He proves this by the cross. That's, that's what the, the, the cross proves the depths of God's love for us. Says you can you can bring to me the worst pain, the worst suffering, the worst persecution, and I'll take it, and I won't retaliate. I won't I won't fight back. I won't curse you. I won't abandon you. I won't leave you. I will hang here literally for you. With that, man, you want to talk about freedom? You want to talk about a freedom worth celebrating? A freedom worth pulling out all the stops for. That's the freedom. The freedom that God sees us. That God loves us. That God was willing to go to the cross to prove that. Did it. That there's nothing left. There's nothing left to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. It's, it's done. With that. May we walk in that knowledge, church, friends, family. May we walk in that knowledge. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace.
grace and peace.